This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play via the iHeartRadio app. We trust both the new players and new additions on the penalty kill. Part of their makeup is their ability to kill penalties. Uh, the one thing with Matthew is there was some chemistry with Bells, and but that came over time. So hopefully we'll get that sooner than later with our new guys uh, in the mix. So tough one last night. I, I think both guys, Hagel and Pauly, uh, were good on the penalty kill. And we just got a little unlucky there. One deflected off Pauly where we thought we had the routes pretty good. And then pretty good sifter to the net, just deflection. It sounds like it looked like maybe Sergey even tipped it in. So a little unlucky. Yeah, I'd say it was a little unlucky. We actually didn't think Sergachev tipped that in. We thought it was, what, Trocek, right? And then, you know, whatever. It, uh, that wasn't happened. They changed uh, the goal. But it is uh, Derek Alon there on Power Lunch on Lightning Power. Play Greg Linelli with you, along with the radio voice of the Lightning. Dave Mishkin, Steve Ersnick is our producer. Scott Lachlan from SiriusXM NHL Radio will be joining us in about 25 minutes. Of course, it's the Lightning and Bruins. Winner stays in third place, partner. Well, if the Lightning win, I think they move <laughs> up. But for Boston, an interesting scenario, allowing them an opportunity to move up in that top three, although they will not have Patrice Bergeron tonight. Yeah, they won't. We saw Billy Jaffe at the practice facility yesterday. The Lightning practiced at the Bruins facility. And we were just kind of going over the, the playoff picture and the fact that it's really a race for seeding, if you want to call it a race. And I asked him, like, do the Bruins really care? Like, we've talked about, do the Lightning really care? He said, my feeling is that the one area where the Bruins maybe don't have as much as some of these other teams would be depth, which has kind of been their bugaboo, if you will. That's over the new. last couple of years, when we talk about the Bruins, we talk about a really sound defensive team, terrific goaltending. And that super top line, but maybe a soft underbelly would be lack of scoring depth beyond the top line. Now, they've split up that top line this year, and we can get into that, Greg. But Billy's feeling was having home ice, admittedly, would be for one extra game potentially, but the Bruins might like that in terms of dictating matchups a little bit more. Fair enough. But that is... That is not necessarily going to, I think, dictate the winner of a series. I, I wouldn't think that having one extra game at home and having one extra game where you can get last change should be the, the tipping point in any of these series. I mean, maybe if everything else is exactly even, then that could tip the balance one way or the other. But there may be a little bit more of a motivation if that's truly the case that the Bruins really want to get home ice. There's also a revenue component where if you get the extra game at home, that's pretty nice. And, and we've talked a lot about how teams have lost so much revenue over the last couple of years due to COVID. But if I'm the Bruins, I'm just like, let's keep playing well. 12-2-1 in their last 15. Let's just keep on rolling. And we finish where we finish. If it's the wild card, so be it. If it's third, so be it. If we get into second and get home ice in the first round, even better. I agree with you. I, you know, for a team like Boston, who they haven't won as much as Tampa Bay over the last few years, but they've won a lot. And their core group of guys are still veteran players who have been in the league a while. I don't know if it matters if they finish eighth or third. 
in the Eastern Conference. I, I, I don't think that's relevant. I will say this about the Boston Bruins. They're always a team that you have to keep an eye on. They are dynamic at times up front. I have a question for you when it comes to maybe how they have addressed some of their depth problems. Because, partners, some of the issues with Boston over the last few years was after that first line, there's a significant drop-off. I think that's a fair way to put it. I mean, you had Krejci in that second line, and you know whether it was Coyle playing with them or somebody else who was moved up and elevated, maybe a little out of place. Maybe it's the brusque at times that there was a significant drop-off not only from the first line to the second line, but certainly from the second line to the third line or the fourth line. Mm-hmm. What they have done to and address Greg, that... real quick, that was extremely pronounced in the playoff series the Bruins had against the Lightning, where they actually got production from the Bergeron line, but nothing else. Well, you remember that first game? In both series. Right, the first game against... The Lightning. What year was that? Was that the year they fell to well, Columbus? Well, both, both game ones. The well, game remember one like the Brayden Point was like a minus five? <laughs> yeah, that was in 2018. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah, the yeah. Lightning got blown out in game one of the 2020 second yeah. round series as well. Yeah. And Sorry, go ahead. No, no, it's, it's a fair point to bring that up. I, I guess my question would be, if you knew you had some depth issues and you didn't necessarily have the assets to go out and address it at the trade deadline, and maybe you were working with <sighs> slim picking, so to speak, with your current roster, however that was constructed at the time, why did it take so long for them to break up the first line? Understanding yeah, that's a good question. I think that's, <laughs> that's a fair a well, I think it's a fair question because I mean you know you know you basically have three elite players. Is that fair offensively? I mean, I think we would mm-hmm. we would call uh, Brad Marchand, not, not to be confused with Brad Marchand, uh, Patrice Bergeron, and David Posternock. Okay, so if you know you're limited in what you can do to address some depth issues, but one of the moves you can make is to break up the top line, why wouldn't you do that earlier? Now, clearly, Dave, they have done that now. I don't know for how long. I like We would have to talk to somebody from Boston. Maybe you've talked to somebody there. Like, yeah. Has this been from the start of the season? January. Okay, so from January... I thought it was... Honestly, Greg, I thought it was before the first game between the teams. So all these games are running together. The Lightning played the Bruins here in early December. That was the game that ended when Stamco scored in overtime. But it was actually the second game, which was played at Amelie Arena in January. That was a game in which the Lightning did not play well. And the Bruins jumped out to a 4 nothing lead after two... Ended up winning 5-2. Marshan had a big game. Marshan was actually suspended for the first game. That was He's had two suspensions this year, and he missed the first game between the teams in Boston. But remember the story that I remember we were talking about it on Power Lunch, where somehow they tracked David Krejci in the Czech Republic and asked him about Pasternak getting moved onto the second line. <laughs> and what did he think about that? And he was like, you know, it would have been nice if I had had the chance to play with Pasternak when I was in Boston. I thought that was before the first game. It was before the second game. So they made that switch in January. By the way, that's a fair and question. They, <laughs> and, and yeah, I, I think I mean, Krejci doesn't have to mind his P's and Q's now that right, right. he's across the Atlantic and, and not a member of the Bruins organization anymore. He was definitely what you would term a good, loyal soldier, though. Because all those years, kind of 
every team has its question or questions, right? And the Bruins' internal question posed by their fan base, maybe not internal, but in-market question, who's going to play with Krejci? Maybe it was internal as well. Who's going to play with Krejci? Who can we get who will play with Krejci? Because we have this great top line. Is it going to be DeBrusque? Is it going to be this guy? Is it going to be that guy? And they never really found an answer for it. And maybe the answer was Pasternak to split up the top line. But they've done it this year. And they have been rolling. I mean, they've had a good year all year. I was looking at their game by game, Greg. They never really had like a major slump. I think they were back in the standings, though, in part because they had a lot of games in hand. Partially based on how their schedule unfolded partially based on games that were postponed due to COVID. But similar to Calgary, when they had a chance to make up those games, they just did very, very well. And in particular, in the last 15, I gave you the numbers, 12-2-1 in their last 15. So that's how they have pulled themselves. They were never really in major jeopardy, I thought, of falling out of the wild card. But right now, they are, they are right there with the Lightning in Toronto. You know, three teams separated by whatever it is, a couple of points. So the Bruins have had a good year. I think they've gotten better as the season has progressed. And maybe they've finally cracked this nut of depth scoring in that Bergeron's out, but not long term. So when he comes back, they have him and Marchand and some right winger. Right now it's Jake DeBrusque. With the second line, they have Pasternak with Taylor Hall and Eric Halla. And I remember seeing that as a line when the teams met in Amelie Arena. Pasternak had a couple of goals in that game. And then they really found a productive third line. And it's 11, 12, and 13. Those are the players' numbers. So I think they've come up with a clever name for the line, but 11 is Trent Frederick. 12 is Craig Smith, who plays right wing, and 13 is Charlie Coyle, who's in the middle. And in particular, Smith and Coyle have found chemistry of late. I mean, Smith has 14 goals this year. Eight of them have come in the last nine games, including a hat trick. So if that's going to continue for the Bruins, that moves them up in terms of like how threatening they are in terms of what they can throw at the opposition in a playoff series. Because now you still have the dynamic power play, and those three guys are on that first power play, Pasternak, Bergeron, and Marchand. But now you move Pasternak onto the second line, if you want to call it that, without taking too much away from Bergeron and Marchand. And now you found this 11-12-13 line, the, the player numbers, Smith, Coyle, and Frederick, that, that Cassidy's really happy with too. And it's beyond just they're defending well. Like, they are producing. They are producing goals and points. You know, it's funny, the guys, you, you almost forget about Taylor Hall. Yeah. You know, Taylor Hall, if he reverts back to anything where he was with the Devils the year he won the MVP, which I don't think he will get there, but anywhere close to that. The thing that I find interesting with Boston, they've got some guys that if they start turning the other, start turning the production the other way, it does become a deeper team. I think Hall, for me, is that guy. And Coyle, remember, was brought in a couple of years ago, Dave, as, as somebody that could add a lot of depth and, and be mm-hmm. that secondary scoring. And it maybe looks like he's starting to figure that out. But I think you're right. Moving Pasternak down to that second line 
makes sense. I guess the question I would just have to Bruce Cassidy, who I think we both like a lot, what took you so long? Yeah. What took you so long? I think that's a fair question. The other thing for me, and you know I go to this a lot, and I think it's just because of who Tampa Bay has and maybe who the other teams don't in a playoff series. You look at Swayman's numbers this year. He's been very, very good. But then you look at, like, what has he done in the playoffs? And it, he just has limited experience. That's not his fault. You don't get experience until you participate mm-hmm. in the playoffs. They've had Tuka Rask. We understand that. But I think it's fair to also point out that if we're going to say the Lightning have a huge advantage in that every series because of what Vassy has accomplished in the postseason, and I think that is fair to say, it is also fair to say that is a serious question mark for a team like the Boston Bruins who no longer have a Tuka Rask to look back on and that track record and say we have a proven guy in nets, so we have some stability there when we know what's going to happen in the playoffs. Swayman, if and when the Bruins become that team to clinch a playoff spot, which I think they will, that is a very, very big question mark at the most important position at the most important time of the year for the Boston Bruins. Like, I've been, I've been hammering Toronto. Campbell's got a little bit more postseason experience than Swayman, assuming he's the guy. I think that's a major question mark. Yeah. You know? I mean, I think it's fair to point that out. That doesn't mean he can't be very good, Dave. He may. He may. But, you know, we've also seen some goaltenders, that first taste of postseason experience, it can be a little rough. It can be a little rough. I guess my question to you would be, who has more questions to answer a goalie that has no NHL playoff experience like Swayman to speak of. He got into one game last year in their playoff run because Rass played all the all the other Correct. games. Correct. Or a guy who has had playoff experience at the NHL level and has not done as well as expected. Now, Campbell is kind of in between. Campbell doesn't have a lot, but he was in their series last year for Toronto when they lost in seven games to Montreal, and he was the goalie of record for games five, six, and seven. Freddie Anderson in Carolina, different team, different system in front of him. Outside of that one run that he had with Anaheim when they got to game seven of the conference final in 2015, lost to the Hawks. That was the year the Lightning played the Hawks in the Stanley Cup final. I don't believe he has won a playoff series Mm -hmm. since, either in Anaheim or Toronto. And then Bobrovsky, of course, who has had considerable playoff experience, and with the exception of the one Good and win bad. against the Lightning, yeah, it's been mostly you know disappointment. So I guess my question to you is, who has more questions to answer? Would it be the guys who haven't done it, even though they've had an opportunity in the past, or a younger goalie who just hasn't had the opportunity yet? I'm going to say the younger goaltender, and I'd have to go back and look at this just because there is absolutely no track record of what they may do. And I'll give you an example. The one that comes off the top of my head would be Tristan Jari. Tristan Jari basically got his feet wet against the Islanders last year in the playoffs. And there were a lot of people that felt, and you've heard me say this over and over again, that Pittsburgh, when you take a look at how that series unfolded, outplayed the Islanders. The difference was, and we had Phil Bork on, that Jari had a couple of really tough games. Why was that? Was it nerves? Some people felt like when you watched him, the rebound control wasn't there, playing the puck the way he probably shouldn't have been playing it, and that really was a factor. 
in that series. Now, I'm giving you one example. I'm sure you could come back and give me a, a few other examples of proven goaltenders who were okay and had decent playoff experience that weren't very good. That's a fair point, too. I think in this particular instance, when we talk so much about playoff experience in all facets of the game, to go into a playoff series with a goaltender who has none on a team, let's face it, that I don't know where you would rank Boston in terms of Stanley Cup contenders, but certainly they feel like they have a shot. I think that's a really big question mark and maybe one that's too much to overcome. That doesn't mean Swayman can't be dynamic and have a playoff run of the ages. I mean, what Jordan Biddington, would that be a pretty good example, Dave, of a guy that you know yeah. didn't have a ton of playoff experience? Biddington was older, though. A little bit older. Been a pro um, player longer. Jonathan Quick, does he come to mind maybe mm -hmm. in, in these particular instances when we talk about the Kings? And well, Cam Ward is the guy that I think of more recently who basically arrived yeah. as a first-year player and yep. won the Stanley Cup. For and sure. we've talked about in the past Wah and Dryden famously with the Canadians. Correct. Different era, though. I, I almost feel uncomfortable. Different <laughs> era, different talent. Comparing you know? <laughs> it, yeah, to, to those. But even though there was more of a disparity from the best team to the worst team in the league, what Dryden did, remember, he beat Phil's Bruins. He was, he was in net for that huge upset in 1971. And Wah with the Canadians in 86 beat some really good teams. Two, I think what is common is across these different generations, a young goalie being put in the pressure cooker and having to perform. And how are they going to manage that? I think there's a different stress level for a rookie goaltender experiencing that type of playoff push with a team like the Boston Bruins who are expected to, whether you believe it or not, make a decent run in the playoffs with all those veteran players who are having solid seasons. I mean, mm -hmm. I think a nice example would be, you know, if you wanted to make the comparison, well, Greg, would you rather go with a Jeremy Swayman who hasn't had any really experience in the playoffs or, for instance, a Peter Morazic? You know, Morazic's yeah. had playoff experience. Some of it's been good. Some of it hasn't. Certainly we've seen him at times do very well against Tampa Bay in the playoffs for, you know, regardless of which team he's playing for. In right. that particular instance, I'd probably say I'd go with Mrazek. But, Dave, what I'm telling you is I think either one of those goaltenders are at a disadvantage going against a team like the Tampa Bay Lightning. And so I think any goaltender in this conference that has a track record of consistent success in the playoffs is, is somebody I, I think I would feel – a little more uncomfortable when it comes to facing the Tampa Bay Lightning and their chances of coming out with a win. I mean, I, I've even said Freddie Anderson. You know, I, look, Freddie Anderson's got experience in the playoffs. Hasn't been great, but he's got some. And maybe mm -hmm. you feel like with all those years playing in the NHL, he settles things down, and maybe this is the round. Maybe this is the playoffs where he can take his team all the way. I think you probably would gamble on a guy like that more so than on a Swayman. But that's my personal opinion, and I think both would be at a disadvantage going against Andre Vasilevsky in a seven-game series. Yeah, the goalies don't compete against each other, though. I mean, sometimes it does come down to which goalie played better than the other, but there are other components also at play. And, and just being about Anderson, I don't think this is a reach to say this, Anderson is a much more is in a much more goalie friendly system 
in Carolina than he was in Toronto. Correct. So the team in front of you matters, and it matters as we look at these eight different Eastern Conference clubs that are going to be presumably heading into the playoffs. So I don't know. Like, I'm not going to disagree with you. Vassy is going to have, like, if you were to compare Vassy versus any goalie that the Lightning might be facing in the first round, probably people breaking down the series would say, edge Tampa Bay. But how much of an edge is that going to be? And will that edge translate to an advantage in the series? That we don't know. Swin, I will say this. His number since he has turned pro, and he turned pro last year. Last year, the the 56-game NHL season was his first year pro. Prior to that, he played at the University of Maine. It was interesting. He's from Anchorage, Alaska. So it's kind of interesting that a guy nice. who grew up in yeah. Anchorage decides to go play college at the University of Maine, but he did. <laughs> he likes that snow, baby. He likes yeah, that snow. Yeah, I guess so. His numbers since he has turned pro have been outstanding. That includes with Boston and with Providence. So smaller sample size, although that sample size is getting bigger this year, and as the Bruins have surged in these last 15 games – Swayman has elevated his play in terms of his numbers. I mean, I can't say that his play has been elevated because I don't know if maybe he was playing well at the start of the year, too. He has not played every game. They have Linus Allmark as well. But Swayman, in his last 12 appearances, has gone 10-1-1 with a 1.72 goals against and a 940 save percentage. He's been outstanding. He has been he has really been good. Outstanding. And, and so David, I guess my feeling is I'm willing to give this guy the benefit of the doubt. He plays in a system that that emphasizes good team defense. And the goalies that have come through Boston have all benefited from that. Particularly under Bruce Cassidy. Really, I'm talking about Rask, but but the other guys who have played when Rask hasn't been able to have benefited as well. And Swayman looks like he's their guy. Listen. Which is interesting because they get, just gave Olmark a four-year contract yeah. at five million dollars per. That's a lot. That may that may prove to be problematic as they work out how they they fit some of these guys in the salary cap. They just gave Hampus Lindholm a big extension. It's like he's going to make his Boston debut tonight too. By the way, but I'm willing to give Swayman the benefit of the doubt. Let's see I how think, he does. I think for Boston, you have to ride him. The only way he's going to get experience is if you play him. Yeah. I think just the question is, what are you going to get? He may be fantastic, but I, I let's let's agree on this. I think he should be the guy, and then from there you get that experience, and maybe Boston is set at the goaltender position for another 10, 15 years. At Bolts Radio, if you want to get involved in the conversation, mm-hmm. you can. We also asked the question, Mish, on our show Twitter page, and I, I want to get to a response here before we get to Scott Lachlan. Does finishing in the top three in the Atlantic Division matter? Jake replies, Jake Ricker says, while it's not make or break as the Lightning have shown, they can win as the underdog. Teams like Florida are miles better at home than on the road. Would be nice to have home ice in those situations. I disagree with him about Florida. I mean, the record might be better at home, but they've been a really good team wherever they've gone this year. That's one person's opinion, though. I I I don't know if it necessarily means anything for Tampa Bay. In, in yeah, that, that was the question. Yeah, and, and that I, part I, of his answer, I I agree with. We've been consistent I, about that. I will say this: it, you bring up an interesting question, and maybe this is something down the road, and we don't even know where Tampa Bay is going to finish. We really don't. 
But, you know, for the longest time, partner, it was Tampa Bay, Boston, and what, Toronto somehow, you know, finishing in the top three for the most part the last mm-hmm. couple of years. Florida obviously now in that equation. I mean, do you start looking at matchups a little differently if you're Tampa Bay with with Boston kind of breathing down your neck and, and Toronto maybe feeling like they're taking that next step in their progression? We know what they can do offensively. We know what they got on the back end with Giordano. I don't know how much of an impact he's going to make, but certainly they feel like you know they're a team that if they get some good goaltending, they can make a deep push with all that talent they have. I feel like Toronto and Boston are still flawed teams and maybe they're flawed in different ways, but in some ways it's similar because of the back end. There's maybe this unproven position in net, but I, I, I don't, when I look at those two rosters, I always just come back. It, it doesn't feel like a, a roster that has, all its ducks in a row. Like, there are some really good parts to it. And maybe, Bo- you know, Boston and, and Toronto, very similar. High-end talent. What are you filling out there on the, the third and fourth lines, and what do you have on the back end? And I think some, I think Boston might be a bit better in those areas than Toronto. Toronto may have a few more positive assets when we talk about comparing the two teams than Boston, but... I've been going back and forth with this because I keep saying to myself, all right, well, what if what if Tampa Bay were to face Boston in the first round? What if they were to face Toronto? Is there a particular matchup that's better for them in the first round? And then, you know, a lot of times I just always come back to, you're going to play a good team in the first round anyways. It really doesn't yeah. matter. And the other part is certainly the Lightning say this from management to coaches to players. It's how they're playing. Yes. And less so about the other team. But... Yeah, teams are constructed differently. Teams have different strengths that that you need to account for. I think Boston probably is a a tighter defensive team than Toronto, even though Toronto's trying to be better Mm -hmm. defensively. Toronto has more dynamic scoring up and down the roster, even though the Bruins are trying to get more scoring up and down the roster, particularly at the forward position. But either opponent, should the Lightning get one of these teams in the first round, would require the Lightning to play at a very high level. Real quick before we get to Scott, I do want to mention two things that we heard from Derek Lalonde after practice yesterday, and Steve played the one clip, which, by the way, in my shameless plug for myself, that was actually my question. I asked Lalonde if, because Joseph had been linked with Belmar, if they wanted to find one guy to link with Belmar or if they were going to kind of use a variety of different players to see how they rework their PK. And you kind of heard his answer there that they're going to, it sounds like they're going to give specifically Hagel and Paul opportunities to play with different guys on penalty kill. And in large part, because they, they feel that, and, and Derek said this, Joseph had time to build chemistry with Belmar. So, I think we're going to wait and see how that unfolds. Incidentally, Paul, who was out on the ice for both power play goals scored by Carolina in the game on Tuesday, on the one, he was out with Sorelli, and on the other, he was out with Belmar. So, I mean, that just goes to show that they were mixing and matching a little bit. The other other part of the press conference yesterday that I thought was interesting 
I think Joe Smith asked Derek if it's kind of a priority. I think I think actually Joe asked about a quote unquote shutdown line, but basically the way I took the question was, do they want the lines to be settled sooner rather than later? Or are they willing to kind of go into the laboratory and, and run some experiments here for the next few weeks? And what Newsy said was, we'd like to find that answer sooner rather than later. So as it relates to the line combinations tonight, Sorelli, Colton, and Paul, which could be theoretically a shutdown line if, if you feel, and I know you feel this, Greg, but a lot of people agree with you that Sorelli needs to be part of a shutdown line. That could be a shutdown line. They started the game in Carolina as a line. Hagel started the Carolina game playing with Point and Palat. At practice yesterday, he was skating with Kalorn and Stamkos, and Kucherov was back with Point and Palat. So I think there's still some experimentation going on, but it's interesting that, first of all, the Lightning want answers, I think, sooner rather than later. And the second game in a row, they're starting this unit of Sorelli, Colton, and Paul. I think that's very interesting. I want to get into that with you on the other side of Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM NHL Radio. We'll talk to him about the trade deadline. How did the Lightning improve themselves? And what does he make of the Boston Bruins surging a bit here in the standings? We'll do that with Scott when we return. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. This is Power Lunch, exclusively on Lightning Power Play on the iHeartRadio app. Lightning and Bruins tonight should be a good one. Greg Linelli with you. Dave Mishkin, the radio voice of the Lightning, with me as well. Steve Versick is our producer. You can listen to the pregame starting at 6.30 here on Lightning Power Play. And then, of course, at 7 o'clock, Dave has the game call. And here to talk about this game and so much more, our good friend from Sirius XM NHL Radio. Check him out there weekdays. He's on with us here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. That would be Scott Lachlan. Scott, great to be with you, buddy. Thank you for coming on. We always appreciate it. And, Boy, it ended up being a pretty active trade deadline. All in all, did any team or teams and what they did at the deadline jump out for you? No, I don't think amongst the contenders I, I, I saw anything that really surprised me. I think that you know anybody who was a contender, whether it be in the East specifically with the eight teams, including the Lightning, that are getting ready for the postseason, and the teams that are kind of grappling for position in the West, I think those teams were fairly active. Uh, I was a little bit surprised that a team like the New York Islanders, that they didn't sell off more parts based upon the fact that this has been a lost season for them. Uh, so I think from that standpoint, that's a little bit surprising. The, the Hamannick deal to Ottawa certainly raised some eyebrows. Uh, they valued his experience even at 31, giving up a third-round draft choice for a guy that can come in and maybe insulate some of their younger players specifically on the back end. So I think for the most part, the teams that we expected to be active were going to be active. And, you know, when it's this close and this hotly contested, especially when it comes to the Atlantic Division, which is near and dear, obviously, to all the hearts of the Bulls fans down there, uh, you got to just do what you've got to do at this point just to give yourselves that extra added push to maybe, uh, if not win the division, then, then certainly go out there and, and do what the Lightning have managed to do the last couple of postseasons. Scott, can you provide some clarity on this Evgeny Dodonov situation? <laughs> not the fact that the, the trade was rescinded. I think that they've done a pretty good job of explaining that. But why did Vegas make this trade? Because they got John Moore back who's basically been a minor league guy this year, and the contract of Ryan Kessler, they traded away a guy who theoretically could help them on the ice. Was this due to, like, salary cap constraints with Alec Martinez? I'm just 
I'm confused about it because it it seems like they have enough injured guys. They could have put somebody else on long-term injury if they wanted to activate Martinez without actually trading a guy that might be able to help them on the ice. Well, Dave, I think confusion is the word of the day, right? Like it, even to now, I'm still not getting all the details as to what happened. Uh, there was a bit of an oversight. I uh, don't know if it was an accidentally on purpose uh, overstep or, or whatever, uh, but mistakes were made. And as it turns out, the Donov is now still with the Vegas Golden Knights. And, you know, as you kind of suggest, I mean, this is going to prevent them from bringing Martinez back and or bringing Mark Stone back before the end of the season unless they can find somebody to help them out, which I, I think is highly doubtful at this point. Uh, I, I was thinking they were going to take the money from, from the Kessler contract and maybe put John Moore in the American Hockey League and, and save the LTIR relief that way uh, so as to bring maybe one of those guys back before the end of the season. Now I just don't know how it's going to play out because from what I'm led to believe, they've got about $400,000 of cap space that they have to, uh, to to play with right now. And, with as much as they've got tied up with Martinez and Stone being on the sidelines right now, it, it just doesn't add up. I don't know how they're going to uh, bring these guys back before the end of it. I guess the hope would be that if you can't find somebody to help you out, and, and, it, and what I mean by help you out is they're going to have to find somebody to take the Donoff and his contract. Now, from a personal standpoint, the Donoff won't be able to play the rest of the season, so there is that. From a team perspective, you'd have to give up something significant to have somebody take on that, that cap hit. And that's obviously going to be one of the bottom feeders in the league that have some cap space to play with that aren't going to the playoffs and that sort of thing. And they might, might be able to reap the benefits of a high draft choice or two, perhaps, out of all this. I think the most likely scenario playing out now is that the Donov finishes the season with the Vegas Golden Knights. He can have an impact on the ice potentially for them down the stretch. And they just cross their fingers that they can reach the, the playoffs, get in there, get Stone, get Martinez back. Maybe Robin Leonard comes back. Maybe he's not only healthy, but he can regain his form. And then you take a run at a Stanley Cup. But that's a best-case scenario right now. The bottom line is they've got, what, 16 games left on their schedule. And right now I don't see them making the playoffs, which is phenomenal to think about a team that – I think most of us had pegged as the Pacific Division winners before it all started. This thing has fallen off a cliff of late for the Vegas Golden Knights. In some way, I think that they're in a situation that they put themselves in, and that's all the big-time money contracts that they've got. And, you know, you want to go out and get Jack Eichel, well, there are ramifications to going out and pulling in a $10 million-a-year player. So they're starting to feel the after-effects of all that right now, and it's not real good in Vegas. Real quick follow-up, if I could, Greg. I thought I saw that Lanner was not expected back before the end of the regular season. Why couldn't they just put him on long-term injury and activate Martinez? Yeah, there was that report out there recently, Dave. The, the Golden Knights, from what I heard, have actually come out and said that, no, that's not the case. They still hold out okay. hope that he is going to come back. So that would speak to that. And, you know, maybe maybe if if there is any semblance to the truth that he's not coming back, then that would be – uh, firstly, a recourse that they could take, and then maybe you could bring Martinez back or Stone back at that point. So we'll see. As of a couple of days ago, from what I was hearing, was that they were not ruling him out, that they felt like at some point he could come back. I mean, right now they're trying to make the playoffs right now with Logan Thompson between the pipes, who's a, a trending goaltender, but really not a, a number one, a guy that you'd think would lead you to the playoffs. And Laurent Brossois is kind of dinged up right now as the backup goaltender as well. So they're, they're, they're in dire straits, uh, you know, in so many different ways, but the first of which is probably between the pipes with Robin Leonard missing.
You know what, Scott? Let's stay with that theme for a moment here regarding goaltending. We're here with Scott Lachlan from Sirius XM NHL Radio here on Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play. Goaltending, as we know, is the most important position on the ice. In the East, it feels like there are some really good teams who have questions at that position. Is this what separates Tampa Bay from everyone else? And is there a goaltender, Scott, who doesn't have a ton of experience in the postseason that you think can lead his team deep in the playoffs coming out of the East? Well, my, my first answer, and this would be the low-hanging fruit, I think, Greg, right, would be Igor Shosturkin, right? So he's not been in this situation before where he's expected to take a team on a run. He's the guy that might just win the Vezina Trophy when it's all said and done. I know some have said, look, why not him for the Hart Trophy as well? Uh, that may or may not come to pass. I, I would have to think he'd be the easiest guy to think that here, here's a young goaltender really coming into the prime of his career that's about ready to take a team on a run. Uh, could one of the Boston guys do it? Could it be Swayman, who will face the, the Lightning tonight? Could it be Linus Olmark, who came over from Buffalo? And obviously Buffalo hasn't made the playoffs in the last decade, so he didn't get any postseason run there. Uh, one of those guys perhaps could be in for a bit of a, a look-see here. And, and I would think it might be Swayman based upon how impressive his rookie season has been. You know, to your point about question marks, uh, Toronto, I mean, first and foremost, let's start with the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? I mean, they got a good, solid start last night from Peter Morazic, but Morazic was a guy that was placed on waivers, and he was a guy that went unclaimed, which is not surprising based upon uh, a tough season that he's had and the price tag that comes with his contract. So I think that Toronto, first and foremost, amongst all the eight playoff teams to be in the East, I think they would probably have the biggest question marks of all I think Washington's goaltending has kind of stabilized itself. And looky here, looky here, it's Vitek Vanacek, not Ilya Samsonov, who looks like he's going to be the guy. I mean, the last couple of weeks he's really played well since coming back off a bit of an injury himself. So, uh, look, I, I, I think that, you know, the be-all and end-all is probably Vasilevsky because he's been there and done that. Uh, and, and you know he's going to go start to finish for the Tampa Bay Lightning. Sergei Bobrovsky certainly would, would seem to still be the guy in Florida. Looks like Spencer Knight's getting another start tonight uh, for the Panthers in Montreal in Giroux's debut. Uh, but to answer your question, probably somebody as a younger guy who hasn't done it before, I'd start with Shesterkin and then maybe look at one of the guys from the Boston Bruins. Scott, there's a lot of consensus that the playoffs are going to be a beast in the East and any one of the eight can emerge. Just wondering, do you have a favorite at this point, understanding we still have some runway left in the regular season to, to come out of the East? Yeah, I, I would I would start with Tampa Bay. You know, I, I still, you know, subscribe to the theory that if you're in a heavyweight title fight, you've got to go knock the champion out. So somebody's going to have to do that and beat the Tampa Bay Lightning, uh, who are looking to do something, of course, as you guys know, that the you know NHL has not seen since the New York Islanders back in the early 1980s. So I'd start with Tampa Bay as the team to beat. I would probably look at Florida as the team right behind them. I'm going to assume they're going to get Aaron Eckblad back, if not by the end of the regular season, certainly into the, the postseason. And I like what they did certainly at the trade deadline. They're deeper on the blue line, especially when Eckblad comes back. And, you know, I think Giroux's going to fit like a glove as far as the Panthers go as well. And then I would probably put the third team – as the Carolina Hurricanes, and we saw the Canes and the Bolts have that great game a couple of nights ago. It's just a fantastic atmosphere, I thought, in Raleigh, guys. Uh, I know the Lightning came up on the short end of the stick there, but the Carolina Hurricanes are a really good team who themselves have questions in goal. Why? Well, Frederick Anderson, 
has never really taken a team on an extended run. The knock on him in Toronto was you're great during the regular season. You've won a lot of games. That's all well and good. What can you do at playoff time? They never could get out of the first round. So even Freddie Anderson, who's had a great season in Carolina, I think has got some playoff demons to try to exorcise at some point here in the next month and a half to two months or so for the Carolina Hurricanes. But as I look at it in the East, I think you could make the case, you know, Dave, that, that any one of the eight teams, you could make a case for making a run towards the Stanley Cup final uh, in one way, shape, or form. But I think I would probably peg it at Tampa Bay, followed closely by Florida, and then followed closely by the Carolina Hurricanes. Scott, the Lightning have lost five of seven. I know I'm not concerned. I know my partner's not too concerned as much. But there are people who are pointing out maybe – are there some deficiencies that are starting to creep into their game? I tend to give them the benefit of the doubt, understanding what they've done the last couple of years and how much they've won. But when you look at the Lightning recently here, do you think there are some concerns popping up with their game that are legitimate? I'm not used to, Greg, seeing the Tampa Bay Lightning with a 17th-ranked power play in the NHL, right? Like, this is not something that we've grown accustomed to seeing. I mean, the fact is that they're middle of the pack on power play, uh, the middle of the pack in terms of PK as well, so that's got to be of concern. And look, you know, I, I think that you know, come playoff time, you're going to need some special team success to win. I mean, rarely, every once in a while, uh, the 2011 Boston Bruins come to mind. Can you succeed without having a real good power play? Uh, the Lightning, you know, know all about that, of course, with their success the recent years. Uh, but more often than not, although, as they say, referees kind of put the whistles away collectively at playoff time, I think we all acknowledge that the game is, for whatever reason, called differently, namely the stakes being a lot higher. Uh, referees try not to be the center of attention, which, of course, is a different discussion altogether. So you don't get as many power plays, it seems like, once you get to the playoffs. But in those power play opportunities you do get, I think it's incumbent on teams to really take advantage of them as best as they can. So I'm not used to seeing the Lightning sort of mid-pack in both PK and on PP. So that might be something, of course, that needs to improve here down the stretch. I also think it's obviously a time where they're going to bring in these new pieces. We talk about Hagel and Paul coming in and, to a lesser extent, Riley Nash, and guys trying to get up to speed with their new teammates. And, you know, the Lightning have had a great deal of success with that, obviously, the last couple of years with what they brought in. Uh, you know, with, with the Barclay Goodrows and the, the Blake Coleman's and the Patrick Maroons of the world. And I think to a, a large extent, a, a lot of these Eastern Conference contending teams like the Florida Panthers and like the New York Rangers have set out to try to do what Tampa Bay did and just adding these key depth guys that could be second, third-line players that will make the difference for you. So, uh, look, I'm not concerned overly at this point. They're just in a complete dogfight right now, as we know, for second, third, and fourth, the Lightning are. I don't know that it matters too much to those teams in the Atlantic Division that are competing for second, third, and fourth, you know, to have to open up the playoffs on the road because they're all good road teams. And Tampa Bay certainly has been there and done that and seen that time and time again. Uh, they wouldn't be awestruck by going into an opposition building and having to steal a game or two to start a series. So uh, I think at this point I'm not overly concerned. Uh, they're in there, and certainly Florida's in the catbird seat right now with the advantage that they've got atop the division. Uh, but I'll be real intrigued here in the next couple of weeks with all these teams playing each other in the Atlantic to see how it all plays out. Last one for me, Scott, a subject that Greg and I have been kicking around not only amongst ourselves but with guests that have joined us, the increased scoring – really league-wide, individuals, teams, scoring is up this year. Now, as it relates to the Lightning, some of their games recently 
have been more like defensive minded, lower scoring, like you mentioned that game they just had in Carolina. Why do you think scoring has been up this year? And do you think we're going to kind of boomerang back to what we typically see, which is lower scoring games down the stretch in the regular season and into the playoffs? Uh, it's a great question, Dave. Uh, scoring is up, I believe, just because of the increased uh, abilities of the players out there. The, the, the skating, the skill sets are just, you know, beyond belief here. When you talk about the young players that are coming into the league now, and, you know, first and foremost, we talk about guys like Zegris and Raymond and some of the impressive rookies out there. Jason Robertson coming back for Dallas and building on what he accomplished in his rookie season. The players are by far and away probably more skilled and more uh, talented and quicker certainly than I've ever seen them before too. So I think it's probably just the skill sets coming to the fore here. Uh, obviously power plays or lack thereof uh, play a large part in it as well. Uh, and do we fear it's going to go back uh, to, of course, being you know clutch and grab more or less when it comes to playoffs? Um, I think there's always that, that fear because, uh, as we say, we do acknowledge uh, that it's called differently come playoff time as well. And, you know, all of these offensive outbursts that we've seen, and speaking to my point uh, with regards to the young, impressive players, you see what Jack Hughes did a couple of nights ago for the Devils, and, you know, they respond with uh, an offensive explosion against the Rangers to score seven themselves. Uh, I, I think that, you know, these are, are, are just sort of the players and the teams that we're looking at here that – that, that promote this type of style. The Devils are not your uncle's New Jersey Devils. Like They've scored more than six goals in a game, I think, like six different times this season, too. So teams are just having their younger players, uh, you know, their super-skilled, quick players come to the fore more so than ever before. And like we say, I mean, once we get to playoffs, I mean, all bets are off, and the reality is we're probably getting back to 2-1, 3-2 hockey. But it will nonetheless be very, very intriguing and entertaining to watch because – of the intensity and the willingness to sacrifice by these players. We see it every year at playoff time, and it's a further reminder why these guys are the best athletes on the planet. Scott, last question in general. I'm curious, what did you make of the assets teams had to give up in order to acquire the player or players they wanted at the trade deadline? It felt like this year the sellers really made out better than in previous years, and if that's the case in your opinion, why were the returns so robust? Well, I look at the Hagel pickup by Tampa Bay, right? And, and that's probably what fans down there were, were talking about in terms of the package that they gave up. Well, number one, they get a 23-year-old player back. Uh, number two, they get a guy back on a, on a team-friendly contract, a, a guy that they've got control of for the next basically four-plus seasons. So there is that from Tampa Bay. I think it's all dependent, you know, Greg, on, on where you're at in your progression and your development. Uh, as we know, there was a bit of a logjam in terms of making deals up until the final days just before the deadline, and then all heck started breaking loose on the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, leading into Monday's trade deadline. So uh, I think it's, it's dependent on where you're at. Uh, I, I agreed with what Tampa Bay and Julian Breezebois did. I know it was a steep price to pay. It doesn't necessarily hurt the team as much right now, with all due respect to Kachuk and uh, to, to Radish, obviously, who's off to a great start with the Blackhawks, three points in three games. Uh, but I think that, you know, Tampa Bay and, and Breezeball realize that they've got another opportunity here to take a swing. And, you know, these, I know it seems like it happens every year because uh, Tampa Bay's had so much success, but these opportunities don't come around all the time. And when you are in that window that clearly Tampa Bay st still is in, uh, I think you do have to swing for the fences. And a first-round pick here a couple of years down the road, uh, another first-round pick, of course, and, and the two youngsters that you give up, 
you get a guy back in return that they still have as a relatively young player control of that can impact you now and for years to come as well. So uh, to answer your question, why were the prices so high? I think it's just basically based upon where each team's at in their development. Some are, are pushing for rebuilds. Some are pushing for playoff spots. Some, like the Lightning, are pushing for another Stanley Cup championship. And I think the more teams you get involved in a bidding process, uh, the more you, you up the ante as far as what kind of leverage and strong points you have. So uh, I think, you know, the going rate uh, seemed to be uh, second-round picks for the most part, a couple of first-rounders certainly thrown into the mix. Uh, and I think that just the going, you know, rate of, of doing business these days in the NHL, I was kind of surprised that a guy like Giordano, even at 38, I know people say, well, wait a second, his best years are behind him. Uh, I was kind of surprised that Ron Francis couldn't fetch a first-round pick for Mark Giordano, as it turned out, because I still think that when you look back on it and, and you look at David Savard for a first, of course, previously, as Lightning fans know all about, uh, you look at Ben Sherratt as a first-round pick as well that came back that way. Uh, I was kind of surprised at Giordano. I know he's not the same guy he was a couple of years ago when he won the Norris Trophy, but I still think at 38 he's got a lot to offer, and if they're coming back to his hometown of Toronto, he's going to pay some dividends for the Toronto Maple Leafs. Well, Scott, we always appreciate the breakdown and coming on here in Tampa Bay to talk hockey. When can people check you out on Sirius XM NHL Radio? Well, NHL Morning Skate each and every morning, 7 a.m. Eastern, 4 a.m. Pacific. And Gord Stellick and Tyler and, and Mike Lippa get it all going every day. And I join an hour later, so I'm on from 8 o'clock until 11 a.m. Eastern time. And usually former Tampa Bay Lightning player Mike Johnson is my co-host in the final hour as well. So uh, we have a bang-up time doing it now. And now that we're past the trade deadline, everybody just takes a deep, deep exhale. And all of a sudden, it's pedal to the metal right till the end, as you guys know. Yep, for sure. Well, Scotty, it's a great show. We appreciate it. Thank you for coming on. We'll do it again soon. Anytime. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Scott. All right. That's Scott Lachlan from SiriusXM NHL Radio. Always great to have him on and talking about the Lightning in the league in general. And, uh, partner, do we want to take maybe a couple of questions here from our audience before we uh, sign off? Or is there sure. anything you wanted to, to break down that Scott Well, did you say? hear about Brad Marchand's new breakfast cereal? Have you seen Ooh, that? That's all the rage here in Boston. March Munch. <laughs> I kid you not. Are you going to have it? At his press conference, I don't think it's on the market just yet or in the market, but he actually said, quote, it's face licking good. When I was, was going to say, about it. do you lick the bowl at the end? Is there going to be a licking <laughs> yeah. involved in this at all? And is Ryan Callahan going to be part yeah, of the Yeah, I don't know about that. These, the, uh, I remember when, the when sports figures were were worked into it wasn't always breakfast cereal but Wheaties, Wheaties was a big for one. sure yeah. I remember the Reggie bar I'm probably a little older Reggie you're, Jackson you're too young to remember Jackson? the Reggie bar but yeah. I remember the Reggie bar that was I know locally bar. I know locally in Pittsburgh they had like peanut butter like yogurt peanut butter and you know Darius Casper it might have been pickles I don't know what it was it was you know always something funny but you know people would no pun intended, eat that up. <laughs> you know what I mean? It was just, it was something to do. And I think a lot of people enjoyed going to the supermarket and purchasing, you know, those, those foods. But that know. probably wasn't something that should have been at the top of the list in the last five to six minutes of the show to mention. But hey, I'm getting hungry. I did so see that, that quote come good. through and yeah, thought it was worth mentioning. 
No, Jake let's get some questions if you have any. Jake has a question here. He says, what changes would you want to see on the power play? We heard Scott mentioned uh, the, the numbers there for the Lightning during that interview. He said he would like to see Hagel get a shot on the second unit. Well, you know, it's interesting that he brought that up because in the game notes, it one of the pages in the game notes shows the season series between the two teams that are playing and the points that each player has produced or not produced in the games against the opponent. So, like, we know, like, Sergachev has four assists in two games against the Bruins this year. But when a player is added, you get to see the stats that that player had against the opponent that night when he was with a former team. Hagel has three goals in two games against the Bruins. So I'm like, huh. I kind of remember that they played each other recently, and they had. They actually played both their games, the Hawks and Bruins, in March. First in Boston, then in Chicago. And one of the goals he scored for Chicago was on the power play. So he was getting some power play time, at least in that game, with Chicago. I know most of his goal total, his 21 goals, have not been on the power play. But he did score in the power play against Boston with Chicago. I don't know. I mean, I think that the Lightning have had so much success going back years with the way they have the power play set up that to me it it doesn't come down to reinventing the wheel. I think it comes down to executing better. And maybe this goes to what you've been talking about, Greg, kind of their their focus, like you use the word bored, like against a penalty kill that is really digging in to stop you you need to be dialed in at a very high number, whatever that number would be, 10 out of 10. And I think when the playoffs start, you're going to see that. Like that one I'm I'm fairly confident about. I think the Lightning are going to sharpen their execution when the stakes go up. But Scott's point is a good one, 17th in the league in the power play. Now some of that has come when, when Kucherov is out of the lineup. I also think it coincides with the top players just struggling a bit because who's typically yeah. on that first power play? You know, it just and things run through Kucherov, and I think right now he's just a little bit off. Again, he's still getting his points. It's it's just not operating at a level we've seen before. I'm not concerned about it. I mm-hmm. think we just have to state the obvious of what we're seeing. Lastly, Stu says, are the Lightning a more balanced team down the middle when Point, Stamkos, and Sorelli are your centers? Well, I don't know if that's the reason why the coaches have constructed the lines this way. We'll say the last two games, including tonight, where Sorelli is centering Colton and Paul. But I don't think they would mind that. They're going to do whatever they need to do, though, to try and win games in a playoff series. And if that means that they need Sorelli to be in the middle on a shutdown line, and I hate to use the term shut down line. They may need to rely on a lot of lines to to slow up the opposition. But they're going to put themselves in a position to have the most success against the opponent that they face. But as we speak now, as we head into game 63 of the regular season, this is the second game in a row. They want to see Paul, Colton, and Sorelli as a line with Sorelli in the middle. Yep. And because you- of that, you have point stamp ghosts and Sorelli as – Essentially, you know, three of your four centers with Belmar as the fourth. Yep. And, you know, my my take on that, I, I think if you're going to have a shutdown line, Sorelli needs to be part of that. And those two guys that are with him currently, I could see that role. doesn't mean it's going to happen. 
I think it's it's something I think I would like to see come playoff time. But what do I know, Dave? I'm just I'm a talk show host who got 45 minutes of sleep this past night because the you little buried hur- the lead, my friend. The you little hurricane the show with that. The little hurricane was up. Up all night mm-hmm. being sick. So we've all been there, done that. But we appreciate everybody out was there. Was she listening. mulling over how the Lightning are going to construct their forward lines to integrate these two? She new was players? hungry Is for that the Brad. was keeping her up. She was hungry for the new cereal from Brad March Munch. March Munch. <laughs> she said, Dad, get me one because my stomach is growling. Yeah. And uh, I'm going to go get something to eat too because I'm hungry. But I will talk to you in a few hours. Pretty yeah, at 6 30. Yeah, puck drops at 7. Should be a good one tonight. Should be a lot of fun. And uh, we'll have a lot for you to digest on the pregame show. And then, of course, tomorrow we'll be back at it noon to one, breaking down this game and getting you set for a busy weekend. All right, everybody, thank you for what you do for us. Thanks to Steve Versnick. I'm Greg Linnelli. It's Power Lunch on Lightning Power Play.